1: Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy two sharp reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Giel.
0: Yes, welcome back to another episode of the Two Sharp Reds with myself, Ollie Gill, Australia's third favourite son, Mark Schwarzer, and it's been a fantastic week. Whether or not you're, you're associated with football or not, as we've seen in Australia, it's been Mullet Week, which is uh, I'm sure you know everyone's been absolutely loving and celebrating. But also Liverpool, they lost the game. It's been a big week across the board, no matter which way you sit. But Mark, what were, what were you sort of more excited by, Mullet Week or Liverpool losing their first? This game,
1: well, see, that's I think the question really should be asked towards you. Um, because obviously, being an mm. Arsenal fan, uh, really not wanting to lose that tag of being the only invincibles, and of course, you know, what's becoming probably infamous is your hairstyles. Um, so yeah, I think you should answer that one.
0: Well, all I'm going to say is it's too tough to choose, but what I would say is I'm so lucky that the two weeks were able to come inside that I could, you know be able to celebrate mullet week which was you know I mean just to be able to be involved is is quite an honor but then to be able to sit there and go you know Arsenal fans don't have a lot to to cheer about these days that was the only thing left so we'll we'll get into that in a, in greater detail but yeah it's been a big week in the in the Gill household um but we're I'll cut that So this week, Mark, for the wine, I've actually attended uh, one of the the cheapest stores in my area and I've found an absolute beauty. It's from Italy. It's uh, La Sogara. And normally I would leave the pronunciation up to you, but (laughs) I I feel confident this week. But it is the La Sogara. And they uh, describe it as a majestic, powerful, vigorous wine with candied cherry, blackberry and dried fruit aromas. So, Mark, we touched on it uh, a little bit earlier, um, but let's, I suppose, we, we have to talk about Liverpool. Uh, they lost their first Premier League game this season against Watford at Vicarage Road, ended 3 0. I mean, where do we start? Is this a case of, and I always find this, was this a case of, were Watford playing out of their skin, or are we more surprised that Liverpool played so badly?
1: Um, I, I, there's listen. There's a combination of both. I think. I think the fact that Watford have shown that they've got some some very talented players, and that on their day they can beat the very very best, and and that's what they did. And then and then you look at Liverpool, and Liverpool are way below their usual best. Uh, Liverpool have had an incredible run for the last was it 18 months or so. They've been phenomenal. Um, and the run has to come to an end in, inevitably somewhere along the line, and it just so happened to be, you know, at, at Watford. I, I would say though, the last couple of weeks, I, I was always a little bit concerned that Liverpool seemed to be fading a bit. I mean, I know they had a, a great comeback against West Ham. Um, they didn't play particularly well. They haven't played particularly well at times this season. But they've just been relentless, they've overpowered teams, and they've had that attitude of never giving up and they've swarming teams. And that's and that's been, you know, very, very um, it's worked very much in their, their favour for the vast majority of this season. This weekend or last weekend, they just came unstuck. That was just that little bit too below par. Um, and you know, Watford took advantage of it and and Saar was brilliant and and obviously, you know the, the best thing about it. And I think you, you, for a number of reasons, obviously had a huge smile on your face. And it was more, I would think, also to do with the fact that Troy Deeney was gloating not now just about bullying Arsenal, but also about bu- bullying Liverpool, in particular Deja Lovren. I couldn't
0: believe his post-match interview. He is one of the funniest people. I absolutely adore it when, you know, I love when footballers still can maintain a bit of personality. And I thought that that post-match interview was sensational. I thought it was hilarious. But from start to finish, that day just felt... I don't, how do I describe it? It just didn't feel... Right, it's a, It was a different Liverpool to what no, we normally see. But I also think that Watford need to be praised because what Nigel Pearson, I feel, has been able to do with them, they just don't seem like the side that they have, you know, earlier on in the season. As you quite rightly touched on, Liverpool, at the best of times we've seen them lose to Atletico. Even Norwich really pushed them, uh, West Ham game in particular. But Watford just... They, they seem a team possessed at the moment and, and it couldn't come at a better time you know, during this relegation battle.
1: Well, they had a bit of... Um, obviously, they hit remarkable form when Nigel Pearson first took over and uh, you just thought, wow, they, they're going go, to just find their way mid-table pretty quickly at this rate. Uh, you know, uh, Nigel Pearson's record in, in, in the Premier League in the last 10 games was, was exceptional. I think he'd only lost like one game or something like that. Um, and then all of a sudden, they kind of hit a wall a bit and they lost a couple of games in a row and then this game was one of those ones where I suppose that on paper everyone writes Watford off and says it's, it's Liverpool to win um, but obviously as we know in football it's never that straightforward and like we touched on before when we talk about form and recent performances um, and I know Jurgen Klopp said I, I didn't see this performance coming um, I didn't see the exact performance and I didn't see a 3-0 scoreline but I, I, I kind of had a feeling that you know, it's not too far away. Liverpool dropping points, Liverpool losing a game. They just seem to be flattening out a little bit. They seem to, be, you know, running out of energy a little bit, not playing at the same sort of tempo. And then, you know, you can only you can only kind of push teams for so far um, from one side of things. And also, you can only get yourself out of jail uh, so many times. And and it just ran out. They ran out of games. They ran out of times. They ran out of a little bit of luck uh, in the end. Uh, they made too many mistakes individually, and they ultimately paid the price. But you know what? What you've got to admire is you've got to admire what Liverpool accomplished. And um, to be where they are on the table, to be so many points clear, to have won the Champions League last year, the runners-up the seasons before, you know the, the, the form they had in the league last season, uh, carrying it through to this season, it's now about... you know, You're, you're going to see now how they react from this loss... Uh, they've got some some such an important week coming up, you know, in the FA Cup coming up against Chelsea, um, and then they've also got uh, that Champions League return match in between there, mm. um, in between another Premier League game, and that's huge. You know, they need to not just fizzle out a little bit. And I know winning the Premier League, which they're going to do, is not fizzling out really. But I think if you would speak to many Liverpool fans, to be in the position they are right now, um, they would hope that they'd go a little bit further. I think. Um, in in you know in the FA Cup, for example, um, and and push for for a couple of other trophies, not just the Premier League.
0: you're absolutely right in terms of you know it's, it's definitely a time that we can start to to celebrate just how good this team is. But you know if we wind it back, it really is a a time where we can really try to appreciate just how good the Invincibles of Arsenal really were, though, because it just it just highlights how difficult it is to go full season unbeaten I know that these are two different eras as well you know you could make that argument you know it would have been fascinating to see what this Liverpool team would have been able to achieve you know during that that Arsenal period but it really just goes to show how difficult it must be week in week out to try and out-muscle outsmart, you know the opposition and try and get the win every week you know I think Arsenal, Arsenal and Arsene Wenger needs another pat on the back because we've just seen probably one of, if not the other, greatest you know Premier League side you know to, to, to grace the competition, and even they couldn't do it.
1: Yeah, in terms of in, in terms of uh, intensity, winning games in a row, you know, l- listen, it's a phenomenal achievement. It was it was unbelievable for the, the the Arsenal Invincibles to to accomplish what they've what they've done, and they've shown now. L- listen, no team's done it so far since then. You know, obviously Liverpool have gone pretty close and they've made a really good go of it. Um, but it goes to show you, yeah, what an accomplishment that was with the, with the Arsenal side back then. Um, Liverpool, are they classed as one of the greatest teams in the Premier League um, to have played in the Premier League? Listen, they're definitely up there. Yeah. Um, that's that's a different discussion, I think um, But they're, you know, listen, let them win the Premier League Let's see how else they go um, Let's next season, and they two seasons Winning last season, if they continue on their run This season, don't now You know, lose quite a few more games are, uh, Before now than in the season In the league, but keep going, get over to that 90 plus points you know, then, then they're a good shout of saying that they're one of the best Teams to have played in the Premier League so from one great team to another, let's talk about
0: Man City, who won another trophy on the weekend when they won the League Cup against Aston Villa. I thought, in particular, Aston Villa, I thought, take a bow. They were extraordinary. They, you know, they absolutely, you could have forgiven them if they hung their heads you know, after what, the first 15, 20 minutes when Man City scored, but they didn't. They pushed them right to the end. I thought they were great. But uh, the blue side of Manchester, Mark, gained another
1: title. Yeah, I was at three in a row now, winning the um, uh, the League Cup for for Manchester City, which you know, listen is a very good accomplishment. Um, and they've done it at times with almost you know their second string side, which I might add is is good enough to be in the Premier League and probably would be in the top four. Um, If you put an A and a B side out from Manchester City, that's how good the quality of players is. Uh, The only thing I'd say is, you know, obviously if you have injuries along the way, players would miss out. Then would they have the depth with the remaining players? Probably not. But if you look, they're two 11s, so 22 players. You'd have two sides very, very strong. And yet, you know what? They were brilliant again to have won it. Um, Not necessarily brilliant on, on the day, uh, but the first what half an hour it was two nil, and you're right. You know, it looked like Manchester City would run away of it. But and you've got to give credit to Villa for sticking sticking in there, uh, rolling their sleeves up, playing with a lot of heart. And uh, you know they gave they pushed them. Even though Manchester City, listen, had some great chances. They could have they could have easily have uh, extended their lead. Uh, Nyland in goal for for Villa was excellent. Um, but uh, in the end, it just wasn't enough. And let's not forget, you know, Claudio Bravo pulled off a, a wonderful save very late in the game. Um, so it could have been going to, uh, to I think it, was, it might go to penalties straight away. I think uh, mm. the league cup. Not sure if it goes to extra time, but it could have uh, could have been a very different uh, outcome, Even though Manchester City had the better of the chances on the day.
0: So a tough one for you. Let's let's enter hypothetical land here, Mark. So let's assume that Manchester City's two-year UEFA ban is upheld. So they've got that sorted. So you're not allowed to play Champions League for the next two years. They're not going to win the Premier League this year. Uh, FA Cup, they, they, let's say they don't win that. So the only thing they walk out of from all of this drama, the financial situation that they find themselves in, is in this season, the League Cup. Now let's say Pep Guardiola, Sterling, the likes. You know they said that they'll stay, but let's again we're in hypothetical land. If they leave, do you say it's all been worth it for them? You know to end up in this particular season, not winning the Prem, not winning the Champions League, if that was to happen, and only winning the, the League Cup. You know, do we do we look at this sort of period in terms of their financial um, issues? Do we think was it worth it going through all of that,
1: or was it not? Well, I think what it does, what it would do, then would just it would leave a, a black mark uh, next to the name, you know. But let's be honest, you know, the last what was it last ten years? Manchester City, the first team, or the only team to have won back to back Premier League titles, um, you know, League Cup three years in a row. And the other question mark is, is about. Pep Guardiola and his teams winning in the Champions League I mean he's only you know the last time he did it was with Barcelona with you know one of the greatest players of all time and and Messi being at his very very best together with you know uh, Xavi Iniesta and co so um, you know there, there are still question marks out there about you know whether or not he can do it with another team I think this season he's potentially got his best opportunity with Manchester City the 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 league is out of out of out of uh, you know out of contention now really it's it's, it's Liverpool's there to 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 win and it's only a matter of when they win it to as you know uh, uh, as opposed to if for Manchester City the full focus now is winning the other two trophies so winning the FA Cup and winning the Champions League and they can fully concentrate on that you know listen the first leg away to by uh, sorry uh, to Real Madrid. I thought uh, first half that was pretty an evenly sort of matched game either team could have been winning, but second half Manchester City showed and, and showed their quality and probably could have easily won the game by more. Um, and so I, I think winning two one away in Madrid, they've got one foot already in the next round. Um, that's this this is their opportunity. They can they can almost take their you know they can almost fill the second team in the Premier League now. And their full focus is FA Cup and Champions League football. If they win those, then, yeah, I think it's worth it. I, I think for the club, they'll look at it and they'll say it's worth it. For Pep Guardiola, for all the players, I think they'll think it's definitely worth it. And then there'll be, a, there'll be an exodus if they're a two-year band. I can't imagine Pep Guardiola. I can't imagine uh, you know, some of their other top stars staying at the club with two years of no European football. They'll struggle against Madrid though, because as you
0: quite rightly said, they were fantastic away from home. But I'm not sure if you, you got the chance to watch the El Clasico. But I thought Madrid was sensational in that two 0 victory. But I also wanted to ask your thoughts are on on uh, Ronaldo went to the game, so he went to the El Clasico. Uh, and what are you, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I was sort of torn because it felt like it felt like Ronaldo left uh, Real Madrid under you know a little bit of a cloud. He always will remain. Uh, an absolute legend at their football club but at the same time when you're contracted to another team do you have much of an issue with this if not at all because I, I as a fan if I was a fan of Madrid I'd be a little bit un- um, sorry if I was a fan of Juventus I would be a little bit uncomfortable
1: why well, I mean listen he, he was what five six years at Real Madrid seven years was it I, I, I wouldn't I mean I, I, I think it's great that he's still got a connection a strong connection with Real Madrid it was nice that he was there listen he clapped he clapped the goal. He didn't get up and celebrate and you know, and go wild or anything like that. You know, he he, he was there lending a support, watching the game. I know I know his teams in the in the competition as well, Juventus. Um, and you know what, Ronaldo, don't you know? I think you kind of underestimate him. He would th- he would have nothing. Uh, he would think nothing better off than beating Real Madrid if the Juventus come up against him. He would want to beat them and score against them and show them what they're missing. So, you know, even though he's, he was there, you know, being in, uh, in the stadium, watching the game, clapping one of the goals, if they come up against each other, if they were to come up against each other, I don't think they will, but if they were, then there's no doubt that he'll be doing everything he possibly can to knock his former team out. Halftime
0: drinks here on the Two Sharp Reds. Mark, how are you enjoying your La Soragra? And also, how are you enjoying my pronunciation of I, La Soragra?
1: Well, I'm a bit of a, g- a giggle because it's normally me with the horrendous pronunciations, and it's now you, so I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, I, I'm enjoying it. Listen, I, I like Italian wine. Um, I, I really do enjoy it, and uh, I think it's a you know it's a it's a bit uh, it's, a, it's a little bit uh, feisty. Um, yep. It's got some substance, which I really really like. Uh, as well, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying it.
0: It also says here. I'm just reading uh, the the back of the label that it says you might experience tastes of leather and tobacco. Have wow. you got any of that? Or well, I'm mainly getting the fruity side, but again, that might be my ignorant, you know, youth youthful taste buds that might be sort of doing that to me.
1: Now, my, I mean, my taste buds, I think, are pretty limited. I, I can't go so far as to be tasting leather and tobacco. <laughs> um, not in a not wine, anyway. Um, you, you taste in good and bad, don't you? Is that you, what your taste for yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. I, I either like it or I don't like it, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, Mark, another great game that we saw on the weekend
1: was uh,
0: between Everton and Manchester United, and it was a very fiery ending where you, uh, Everton scored, but uh, VAR ruled it uh, that it was offside. But in particular, uh, was Carlo Ancelotti was sent off. He was recorded uh, for... Uh, arguably abusing or or speaking incorrectly to the referees he said after the game uh, that he said i asked for an explanation after the game there was a misunderstanding on the pitch and he sent me off after that i spoke with him calmly in the dressing room i didn't disrespect him so double barrel question for you here do you think that's a legitimate statement uh, or is he just trying to um, you know possibly you know re- remain positive in the the public eye or Uh, And the other end of this is, have you ever been able to speak to a referee after the game like that and be able to go in and go, no, 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 no. we're still having this conversation?
1: You know what? You you can speak to the referee after a game. I just don't think in the manner of which he did it. Out in the public eye, right at the end of the game, the cameras are right there and he's going going off. So I, I think he's referring to... Post-match in the dresser in the in the in the change room that he no longer was disrespecting the referee. I think on the pitch there was more to it, and and there were probably I'm only guessing. I'm I'm only guessing in this in this one, but there, I wouldn't be surprised if there were some uh, choice Italian words thrown in there as well. Sure, so sure. And, and you know the referee and generally you know you you, you do we all know a couple of uh, Italian choice words every now and then, and uh, I, I think the referee was well within his right to show him the red card afterwards he probably did calm down realised that he'd probably overstepped the mark and, and went, in the, went into his dressing room to try and maybe make amends and, and, and maybe try and convince the referee that uh, it wasn't as bad as maybe he heard. Have you
0: ever done that though? Have you ever sort of gone in after the game during the tunnel? or like, What's the access like to the referees post-game? Do they sort of shut things off? Or?
1: I, 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 they shut things off when you are emotional, when you're aggressive. They shut things off when you are, when you try and speak to them in a, in a in a very in a very normal way sometimes after a match the referee will say let's talk about it in the tunnel because the chat, because the because the cameras are there and the referee it's very difficult for the referee then to communicate to 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 really have that discussion he doesn't want to have that discussion Out in the open, which I, I also understand, so more often than not, uh, when I was younger, I would get high-headed. I, I would overstep the mark and, and on the on occasion receive the the yellow card for, for for giving the referee some abuse. In the end, I realized you know, it just gets you nowhere, and you know things happen and they can make mistakes, and you know you do get emotional, you do get upset about stuff, and in the end, I very rarely then would give the referee any stick. I would try and speak to the referee and say to them, listen, mate, you've got that completely wrong. You better watch that afterwards. Um, you know, things like that. And on the odd occasion, the referee, when I've seen him later on, they've said, you know what, I watched it. And my wife, one, on one occasion, one of them said to me, my wife gave me an earful because I got it so badly wrong. Um, no. He awarded a penalty against us when Cristiano Ronaldo, I came out and he dived and I was nowhere near him. But the angle of which the referee's standing at, he thinks I've brought him down. But he's, he's, about, he's at least about half a meter away from me. And he dives. And the referee awards a penalty. And Ronaldo winks as he goes down. Or as he, he's on the ground, as the referee awards the penalty, he turns to his teammates and winks. Oh. Yeah. So it wasn't... So you, you must be the biggest
0: fan of VAR. You must love VAR now. You I, must be going, good, just as he's being served.
1: I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of it, yeah. I don't have a problem with it. I, I like the fact that... Um, I, I like that you can, you can uh, have VAR, you can... You know, you can have those. You can have the, the the fact that you can go to a video referee. You can see the replays. You know that. You know that um, that if someone's made a mistake or hasn't made a mistake, it's very very obvious. And I and I like that. And I, you know, what in some instances it's very very black or white whether or not uh, there's a mistake or not. And I think that's what the VAR is there for. It's not going to eliminate. We've talked about it lots of times before, and and it becomes a really boring conversation because you know that. Uh, It's not going to eliminate every error. It's going to hopefully reduce the number of errors that are made.
0: So what was the old school system, though, in terms of, like, if the referee comes to you and says, you know what, my wife's actually had a word with me, I've made a total barney on this situation, I've stuffed it up completely, What's, what's the interaction then? Do you go, oh, that's all right, there's no point? well, what do we do from here? The game's already over. Or is there? was there any form of, you know, the referees can then formally apologise or is there an olive branch at all? Or do you just have to go, oh,
1: yeah, I, I told you you stuffed up and then move on and go to the next game? Well, there's nothing you can do. You can't change anything. You can't, uh, you can't go back in time. The, ref, you know, the, the FA is not going to say, well, actually, we're going to have to replay that. There's, there's nothing you can do. If a referee, and it happened to me, like I said to you, he came, a couple of weeks later I saw him And I just went, you know what, everyone makes a mistake and and good on you for you know for being mad enough to admit it. I I don't have a problem with that. Everyone makes I've made mistakes and you you hold your hand up and go, I'm sorry, made a mistake. And 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 most of the time that's what you want. Um, players get and and players and fans and managers, they get so carried away, so heated and and it's almost like the referee's not allowed to make a mistake. And and that's where, you know, I think it sometimes can be very, very harsh.
0: So, Mark, uh, I'm sure that you would be itching to talk about this because how good the Optus Sport have announced that they will have the rights for the Copper America, uh, which Australia will be a part of. I'm sure you'll be uh, deeply entrenched into the, to the, uh, to the Optus team for, for the Copper America. But how exciting is this? You know, I mean, forgive me if I'm wrong, but has, has Australia ever played in the Copper America? I don't think they have. So, what, you know, what, what sort of influence this could have on, on our sort of players, you know, going over there and being into this sort of tournament? Uh,
1: well, firstly, you know, the way the, Copas have, the Copa Americas have been operating in the last... I mean, I'm not sure how long ago. I think, I think it was the US and Mexico who were the first non-South American teams to have been invited to play in the Copa America. And then since then, uh, they've, they've brought in Qatar, uh, Japan, and now Australia... And they've decided to to try and try and you know give it a bit of a a, a boost to the Copa America and introduce a bit more interest from from abroad uh, and introduce these other teams. And Qatar's obviously been in there because they're leading up to the World Cup, um, and they've invited Australia. And I, you know what? I think it's an amazing opportunity. I would have loved to have played in the Copa America. That, I mean, I've played World Cup qualifiers. I was there in Argentina in uh, 1993 um, when we played in that in that playoff. I was on the bench and. The atmosphere in a proper competition match in South America is so different it 's not like anywhere else in the world. It is intense it's it 's ferocious um, it 's intimidating um, you know just from the the fans outside there 's f- lots of times there are fighting fights going on amongst themselves the The police are on mounted police uh, mounted horses and they 've got these massive big battens and some of them have got shotguns and it's just a different world and it's dual die for these people you know when we played in uruguay uh in 2001 we had you know we were spat at we were had punches thrown at us as we arrived at the airport uh on the way to to the game or even on the way to the hotel from the airport we were abused uh people doing all sorts on the side of the road running to the road just throwing abuse at us turning around and showing their backside it was intimidating, it was intense, it was incredible. Uh, the game day, you I know, mean, it was like people were ripping up parts of the stadium and throwing concrete boulders across uh, you know across like 20, 30 meters where a moat was, high fences were and they were landing on the pitch. You know, this this is emotion and atmosphere that you just do not experience anywhere else. Um, so I'm excited. I'm so excited about Australia being involved in it. And I'm excited about, you know, being part of the commentary team and, uh, you know, being part of the the whole coverage of the tournament, but in particular, all of Australia's games and the final. You know, if you look at Australia's group, they're going to be based in Argentina. They've got Argentina, Bolivia, Uruguay, Chile, Paraguay, first game is against the, the arch enemy in Uruguay, you know, which, which is phenomenal. And uh, you know, we've got history against Argentina in that game I mentioned in 93. Then we've got Chile that we played against in the World Cup in 2014. Uh, when I, I bumped into Diego Forlan a couple of times over the last couple of years and we often talk about, you know, those games uh, we played against Uruguay, the rivalry and even though it was intense and it was ferocious, there was also, more so now afterwards, there was a lot of respect a lot of respect about both teams and about the the, the time, you know. I think for uh, for Uruguay, it was it was probably harder to take because they they felt that like uh, Rakoba said way back then, they had a divine right to qualify, mm. and we knocked them off their uh, their very well, their medium height perch that they felt that they <laughs> were they were on. Uh, yeah, so it's it's a, a very very exciting tournament, and you know what. It's going to be one hell of a, a, a tournament for them and, and, a, and, a, and a challenge for Australia. Because playing playing a, a South American teams in South America, that again is a huge, huge challenge.
0: So in terms of your history with Uruguay in particular, when you've had conversations with, with former Uruguayan players or the, anyone within that team or anyone associated on reflection, what, what is their sort of point of view and their opinion of, of that soccer side? Because it is quite, you know, it, it's this most bizarre sort of rivalry where you would expect it to be England, New Zealand, maybe one of the, the you know, the closer Asian sides. But, you know, it, it was ferocious during that, that World Cup qualifying stages. So any have you had any sort of, you know, real proper conversations with them? And, and have they, you know... Been honest and
1: have sort of backed Australia up and been quite impressed with us, or what have they had to say? No, Diego and Fulham. That's what I said about the respect. Is respect, and he mentioned about how good our side was. You know, the type of play, the the name of the, the names of the players that we had in that squad. It, for both of them, really, for for two thousand and one, uh, the game, the games against Uruguay for the two thousand and two World Cup, and then later on in two thousand and five, you know, he he was had the utmost respect. And when we we finished talking about two thousand and five and how I was giving a little bit of cheek about it, he then went, "What happened in two thousand and ten when he was playing for Atletico Madrid against Fulham in the uh, Europa League final?" And I uh, I went quiet pretty quickly. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he scored. He scored the winner, didn't he? And it was like oh, 3 minutes um, before the end of extra time which we are going to penalty shootout we were down we was were, 1-1 we were one, one, and he he scored it was a deflected winner um, in the 117th minute
0: <laughs> that's uh, that's one of the great goalkeeping terms isn't it a deflected winner well it you, was, you it was never going wide
1: be... no it was going wide yeah yeah let, yeah let, yeah oh, whatever, watch it watch whatever. it on TV go on YouTube watch it <laughs> it was going wide hit it yeah. hit brother hangeland's trailing leg and sneaks into the far post come on so, <laughs> you can't be <laughs> so serious what about,
0: so, what about from the young guys' perspective? You know, obviously these sort of you know entrenched rivalries with, between Uruguay and Australia, I don't believe have gone anywhere. I, I still, you know, there's almost a case of unfinished business uh, to a certain degree. But do you think will the young guys from both sides feel this, or is it a clean slate?
1: No, I, I think people will re- be reminded. And there's no, there's no doubt. I mean, Graham Arnold was very much involved. Uh, in that campaign, uh, you know, he was on the coaching staff. He knows there's history between us and Uruguay, as as does as does every one of those players. You know, they they all grew up in that time when those games were were, and I'm sure most of them probably were watching the game, if not live in the stadium. And uh, and and it was, you know, it's it's a rivalry that I think is a is a is a, a really healthy one, um, and one that you know what for Australia to be on the same level as Uruguay, uh, I'm not sure about now, but definitely back then. Uh, was, was real credit to see how far we, we, we'd come you know now this this is the challenge this is the challenge for this young this, this Socceroos side this new Socceroos side from Graham Arnold is to see at, you know what level they're at are they able to compete at, at a very very high level because this is another notch up from playing in Asian football this is a, another couple of notches up you know these are these are all any one of these teams could play at a World Cup you know Argentina Bolivia Uruguay Chile Paraguay they've all other than Bolivia they're all teams that are regularly at World Cups, so it, it's it's a it's a huge huge challenge, and it's going to be a really good indicator to see how far you know we've come under Graham Arnold. You know how much more they need to improve. You know and which direction they're sort of heading. You know it's going to be it's going to be a huge huge challenge for them.
0: So of course Australia will go in as as underdogs as they probably should in a competition like this for the first time. But what do you think, other than winning? You know, obviously that's 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 the end goal of being in any tournament, I guess. But what what do you think are the intentions of the Socceroos in this environment? Is it to to bleed some of the young players through? You know, you know the likes of Massimo Luongo. If he's fit, because of course we've seen, you know, he's not been in the best of form lately. You know, is it is it trying to give these guys a chance to you know be put under the
1: spotlight and under pressure, Or, or will they go out there and really try and win this thing? I think you've got to be really careful going to a tournament like uh, Copa America and try and experiment, try and bleed young players uh, into the side. I think you've got to be very, very careful because what you don't want to do is you don't want to go there and and, uh, be beaten and being beaten heavily and uh you know you've got to put your your stronger sides out yes you've got to try and find some balance at times maybe give some of the younger more inexperienced players some game time but i wouldn't necessarily be changing teams and playing an experimental side i'd be going there with the view to try and win every game try and develop try and get better try and be very very competitive push every one of those opponents to the limit and who knows you know if Aust- if the Socceroos play well who knows May- maybe they may be able to get the odd, odd result or two. You, you never know. and They may be able to push for one of those playoff positions. You just never know. But what I will say is they are certainly very much big underdogs. Uh, but that's also not a bad thing. We're, we're used to being underdogs.
0: It'll also be fantastic for some of these players that are coming out of contracts at certain times. You know, we 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 talked about last week. You know, the situation with, with some of the guys at Celtic in particular. You know, these sort of socceroos that are spread across Europe that you know might be looking for a contract. You know, in a in a, at a better club or a higher league. It's a sensational opportunity between World Cups to be able to make a worldwide you know stamp and acclaim on
1: themselves it is yeah anytime you get a chance to play in the national team particularly in a big tournament it does it does feel like you get into the shop window and it is for a lot of these guys you know to try and also, cement their place as a regular in the, in, in the Socceroos team to show that, yeah, maybe they haven't been playing particularly well for their clubs recently, but that they can rediscover their form and, and be a, a vital part, uh, vital member of the Socceroos. You know, it's a, it's a it's a big challenge. You know, Graham Arnold hasn't got the luxury of the choice of players that, that you know previous managers have had probably ten, fifteen years ago. Um, but that's only normal. You know, you you go through you go through phases. Um, there's a new generation of Socceroos coming through and uh, you know it's an opportunity for these guys to gain invaluable experience and there's no doubt for me that playing in any of these big tournaments all these guys will benefit from it hugely you know they'll come out of it you know having experienced a lot and and hopefully develop and become better players from it so if you were in the
0: golden generation of australian football what color generation are we currently in do you think
1: Oh, sort of uh, that's maybe very the, hard am- the Amber generation. Yeah, it's very difficult to <laughs> well, to the... compare. You know, I, I think I think it'd be unfair to compare it at the moment. What generation are we in? I mean, they're, they're, we're still in a very much in a generation of you know rebuilding to to try and establish a core of players that are that are sort of seen as mainstayers. You know, we've got a couple of players that are playing at the highest level um, around the world, and, and more so obviously Moy and and uh, Maddie Ryan. Um, you know Tommy Rodgers as we know, is playing up at Celtic. but then the, you know the rest of it, you kind of look at it and you go, well, uh, we haven't got a lot a lot of players playing in high levels anymore. And, and that's the challenge. I, I, I think uh, hopefully playing in these big tournaments hopefully gives the players more exposure and gives players possibly an opportunity to make that transition into you know to, to better teams in and, and, and better competitions uh, around Europe.
0: Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure once again. Unfortunately, we didn't touch on it earlier, but you're not, uh, you're not in England at the moment. Uh, Mark uh, Snowbunny Schwartz is back in
1: town. Where are you this time? I'm in Austria, mate. I'm in Orbitau. I'm enjoying the, uh, the snow, the mountains, and the skiing, of course. Um, yes, yeah, so, so I'm not in the country, and I'm very much enjoying it.
0: Oh, I cannot wait for you to get back, mate, because you know I can't go more than two weeks at a time without seeing you face-to-face. I, you know That's that, obvious, don't you? mate. That's obvious. Yeah. How have you enjoyed that La Soragra? Jeez, I'm getting even more sort of you know, quite exotic as I go on with the, with the pronunciation of La Saragra. But I've actually really enjoyed it. So just, again, it's a 2016 red from Italy. I can't remember the last time we had a red on the show, but it's a, it's a really nice one. Again, they describe it as majestic, powerful and vigorous with candied cherry, blackberry, dried fruit aromas and also a slight taste of leather and tobacco. And I've got to be honest with you, Mark, the, the way I've been able to decide this player. Uh, player role manager has been based off those final two things, leather and tobacco. It became <laughs> the further that I went through, it became more and more prominent, and it, it, it really stood out for me.
1: Really did it? Oh yeah. Okay. So um, no, I'm not. I'm not getting. I'm not getting the leather and and, and tobacco. I mean, I'm, the vigorousness. Yeah, I'm happy with that. I, I can. I can feel that. I can taste that uh, on the taste buds, and I think that. Uh, it's it's definitely a, a, a nice quality wine, a, a, well, a good quality wine. Uh, it's got a lot of energy, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm loving the vigorousness of it.
0: <laughs> Don't we all? Don't yes. we all? That's your favourite word, so, Mark. Yeah, so, yeah. So,
1: so with bearing all that in mind, I've, I've come up with my selection of a player that's, that definitely was certainly very vigorous in midfield, Played sure. uh, uh, played at the very highest level, Full of uh, uh, vigorousness in midfield. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. He's uh, or you know, full of vigor. Apparently, I've been told again. Uh, he <laughs> a lot of energy. Have you,
0: have you ever seen Zoolander, Mark? Because there's uh, he, he creates a centre for people uh, that can't read good, and I think you might need to to maybe check it out.
1: Yeah, listen. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm am 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 I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a learning, mate. I'm a, I'm a work in yeah. progress. I'm still I'm still evolving. So, well, you're a footballer, had, aren't you? So yeah, you've missed out exactly. on Keith. Yeah. He, he had a lot of vigour, a lot of energy, uh, and a lot of quality. And I would certainly have been most of... Well, all of my teams that I would, I would have played for throughout my career. Um, unfortunately, he, I thought he left a little bit early and left Chelsea and went to China. Um, I thought he still had a number of years left in him. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, top, top guy and a top, top player, uh, Ramirez. Right, I thought you were going to say Oscar for no, a second. No, I'm going to go with R- Ramirez.
0: Right, yeah, yeah, he was sensational. So for mine, Mark, uh, I have also gone for a bit of a Chelsea theme. I, I don't reckon this will be very difficult to to guess, but I was really stuck with the uh, the leather and the smoke. It became the, the, very the what? evident. The leather, the leather. <laughs> As the bottle went on, the the smokiness really became evident. And what, not so much at the start, but certainly towards the, the final three quarters. Uh, it is an Italian red as well, so this all just, I mean, it only points to one person, one person in particular, and that's Maurizio Sari. That is, it's nothing but old school Italian smoky red, and uh, I think that works absolutely
1: perfectly. I think you're right. Definitely smoky, uh, definitely suits, um, you know, Sari, definitely, without a doubt. Mark, thank you for
0: another sensational episode, I must say myself, of the two sharp reds. I hope you enjoy your time in Austria and remain uh, vigorous, as, uh, as you would like to say. Uh, <laughs> I'll, and, I'll <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. And uh, we'll be back same time, same place, uh, thanks to Opta Sport, uh, giving you all the latest updates from the Premier League and, of course, the world of red wine, which we absolutely love. And uh,
1: cannot wait for the Copper Americas, Mark. Absolutely. Cannot wait. And it's going to be one hell of a journey. Cheers. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more.